0: Good morning. Our scripture this morning is Matthew 25, verses 14 through 30, the parable of the talents. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, "'You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should receive what was mine own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given.' And he will have an abundance, but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of our Lord. You can be seated. Good
1: morning. You guys doing well? Outstanding. Good to have you with us. Welcome to Breeze Community Church. Also want to welcome those of you that are on YouTube live right now. We can see you. Okay, maybe we can't, but you can see us. Good to have you with us. God's Amazing Promises, For When You Fear Failures, the title of this weekend's message. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew 25. We're looking at verses 14 through 30. Uh, Pretty powerful, very practical parable we have here. Also grab your sermon notes out, you can follow along. There you can see part of the intro. Fear of failure is a universal fear that can immobilize and even paralyze you from being fulfilled and fruitful in living out God's purpose for your life God has a purpose for your life you're not by accident you're not here by accident you were created by God he has a purpose for you now we live in a culture today that one of the philosophies is existentialism existentialism is a philosophy that basically says you don't find your meaning you create your meaning You're the one that determines your meaning. That's insane. You didn't create you, did you? No, so you gotta go to your creator to find your meaning and why you exist and why you're here. So uh, that, that doesn't work out so well when you try to create your own meaning. All you gotta do is look around in our culture today. It's not working out so well. You just can't come up with your own meaning. You go to the creator to find your meaning. And you can see there on your nose, so there is a big P purpose. And a small P purpose or meaning. So the big P purpose is to know God and to make him known. That's why you you were created, is to know God and to make him known. And the small P purpose is what knowing God and making him known looks like through your individual, one-of-a-kind, God-given, original shape. You are unique. You have spiritual gifts. You have a, a heart that has desires in it Uh, You have abilities, you have a personality, you have life experiences, and God uses all of that. And you can live all of that out in such a way that would put on display uh, God, that you would know God and make him known. Nothing will give you greater pleasure than to live your life for God's purpose. Nothing will give you greater pleasure in life than for you to live your life for God's purpose. Now, let me give you a little background to this parable it's uh, it's known it's part of the Olivet discourse, and that's the name given to the orderly and extended teaching given by Jesus Christ on the Mount of Olives. His subject is the end times, and if you want to learn more about the end times from Jesus's perspective, go to Matthew chapter twenty-four and twenty-five. The record in Matthew is the most extensive compared to Mark chapter thirteen and Luke twenty-one. He is talking to his disciples about his return and the impending judgment. And and really, in essence, what he's saying is that while we watch and wait for the Lord's return, we are to continue to work faithfully for our Lord. That's kind of the big idea of these two chapters, chapters 24 and 25. There's three parables here. We only looked at the one, the parable of the talents, And what we see in this parable, this parable compares in contrast faithfulness and unbelief, wisdom and folly, preparedness and indifference. I don't know if you noticed this, but at the very end of that parable, the one who had only had one talent, and he has to give an account of his one talent, and he was afraid. In fact, it says that, so I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground, Uh, the master says that he is foolish and lazy, basically, and he throws him into outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Kind of a bad ending to a parable, isn't it? I mean, when we read that, it's like, whoa, that's that's a harsh way to end, but that's reality. And and really, he's actually making this contrast between believers and non-believers. This guy's an unbeliever. And so what you see here in this parable, as he's contrasting, he's, he's, the parable compares and contrasts faithfulness and unbelief, faithfulness of the two. There was one that had five talents, the other one had two talents, and they went out and used those and actually doubled them. But the one who had the one hid that talent. So that's faithfulness and unbelief, wisdom and folly, preparedness and indifference. So these are the characteristics that separate authentic Christians from unbelievers. So here's an interesting note. There is no half-hearted or lukewarm Christian depicted in any of these parables. You're either a believer, and you're going to take what you have been given and use it for God's kingdom, or you're not. Pretty cut and dry. And so we need a lot of help here this morning for God to apply these truths to our lives So, you can see on the notes, so God's amazing promises for when you fear failure. It's based on verse 25. So, I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. I didn't live out the purpose by which I was created to live. And so God's amazing promise is when you fear failure, we got five truths of what we need to believe and then five steps on how we need to behave in response to this parable. But let's, let's start with a word of prayer. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's just take a moment. Let's ask for God's help so that we can understand this and apply this to our life. Lord, we love your presence. We are so in love with you because you first loved us more than we, more than we ever dreamed And so may your perfect love chase away our fears, all of our fears. I can't help but think that there are some in here with just a ton of worry and anxiety and fear for any number of reasons. And so, God, as we encounter you through your word, chase away those fears. Open our eyes to see wonderful things from your word. Give us greater revelation of you. Lord, you are the only one who can satisfy the deepest longing of our soul. We pray these things in Jesus' beautiful name and everyone said, amen. So God's amazing promises for when you fear failure based on this, this idea that this one that had the one talent, I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. He's actually speaking of an unbeliever there, someone that has not, is not really living out the purpose that God has ordained for them. So five truths, here they are. This is what we need to believe. Here's the first one. Everything you do today matters for everything, forever. Everything you do today matters forever. Everything you do today in the dot matters forever, the line. You'll notice the, the dot, we got kind of a zero there, but that represents a dot. You can also see it on, on your notes. The dot stands for your whole life here on earth. It's just a dot. It's a morning mist, Boom, here and gone. James talks about that. For most of that, for most of us, that's about 70 to 80 years, that dot. I'm about halfway there right now. That wasn't meant to be funny. Okay, I can see the finish line, let me just say. Okay, Any, anybody like that can kind of see the finish line? Yeah, it's getting closer. So I'm thinking 70, that's like five years away. 80 is like 15 years away. If I live to be as old as my dad, that's not very many years. He lived to be 84. The last four were pretty hard years for him. So so there's almost a sense of urgency for those of us that as we get older, we can begin to see the finish line. Stuff like this is really, really important. And it's really important that you learn this early on in in your life. You do not want to waste your life. The line represents your life after death in eternity, that's forever and ever. So what happens inside? What happens inside the dot determines everything that happens on the line. That's that's a biblical truth. Let me give you a couple of thoughts under that. So here's here's what that means. Our beliefs. That's your next field of belief, Our beliefs determine our eternal destination. So what we believe determines our eternal destination. John three sixteen. for God to love the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. The gospel is the most amazing message I've ever heard. And it's absolutely spectacular. It's beautiful in every way. And the, the gospel message is the good news that God has reconciled us to himself by sending his son to die in our place for our sins and all who repent and believe in him have everlasting life. All you need to do is put your faith in Him. He died in your place for your sins. You see, your sins separate you from God, but but God through Jesus Christ remedied that for us once and for all. So we put our faith in Him. Our beliefs determine our eternal destination. But here's the next thing: our behavior determines our eternal compensation. Second Corinthians five ten. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of christ it's called the bema seat or the great white throne judgment also could be combined here so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body whether good or evil you will be held accountable for what you have and what you did with what god had has given you and how you live that out now Point number two, five truths of believing. So everything you do today in the dot matters forever on the line. Number two, everyone fails in many ways. Every one of us fails in many ways. James 3, 2. This is uh, one of my favorite verses. This might sound crazy, but for we all stumble in many ways. And it actually brings comfort to me. I've been around people that came off with an attitude like they never stumbled, they never had any faults, they're above reproach, they have no sin in their life. That's a lie. I mean, it is. If, if you claim to be without sin, you deceive yourself, and the truth is not in you. 1 John chapter 1, verse 8. You're self-deceived. So, for we all stumble in many ways. Ecclesiastes 3.20. Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Every woman in the house just said amen to that. Oh, wait, that's everybody, isn't it? Mankind. So ladies, you're included in on that. Surely there is not a righteous person on earth who does good and never sins. Here's the next point, number three. No failure is final unless I give up. No failure is final unless I give up. Proverbs twenty-four, sixteen: For the righteous falls seven times and rises again. You don't think the righteous falls? It says it, the righteous falls. We're going to fall. We're going to struggle. We're going to stumble. For the righteous falls seven times and rises again. Galatians 6, 9. Maybe you're here this morning and you're struggling, having a tough time, just getting through. You've, you've fallen down one, one way too many times. This verse is for you. And let us not grow weary in, in, of doing good, for in due season we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Do not grow weary Don't grow weary in doing good, because in due season, you will reap a harvest. If you don't give up, don't give up, don't give up. Keep getting back up, keep getting back up. No failure is fine unless I give up. Number four, failure can lead to success if I will humbly learn from it. The key is to be humble. Humility, pride pride messes with us, man. The more pride you have, the less you can see. And that's, that's what, when you have people in your life that think that they have it all together and they have no problems or issues or, or struggles, they're in denial and their pride keeps them from seeing that. But humility is the key here. Proverbs twenty eight thirteen: whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. 2 Corinthians seven ten and 11, I've only got 11 here that I'm gonna read, but 10 and 11 are great verses on Repentance. It's really important to understand what repentance is. And there's a difference what he does here in, in 2 Corinthians 7, 10, and 11. He's making a contrast between godly uh, sorrow and worldly sorrow. You know the difference between the two? You do. You need to know that. So when you blow it, you need to know the difference between godly sorrow and uh, worldly sorrow. And so he's talking about more of a godly sorrow here in 2 Corinthians seven, ten. He says... Foresee see what earnestness this godly grief or sorrow has produced in you. What also, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point you have proved yourself innocent in the matter. So, so here's the idea between uh, godly sorrow and uh, worldly sorrow. World of, worldly sorrow is that you are uh, grieving or you're sorrowful f- for the pain that your sin has caused you. You got caught, you're suffering, suffering consequences, and so you're, it pains you, that, that would be worldly sorrow. It doesn't actually change you. But a godly sorrow is that you are sorrowful, you are brokenhearted over uh, the pain that your sin has caused the heart of God. That you realize that your sin was a trampling on the love and wisdom of your maker it was a dagger in his heart it was against him first and foremost but also the the pain that your sin has caused others and how you have misrepresented misrepresented the one you, you love more than anything and loves you more than anything so that would be um, godly sorrow that you begin to realize the weightiness of your sin and what Christ did for you on the cross, and that takes a lot of humility. I was thinking of this idea of worldly uh, sorrow, and I was saying about the NBA players and their alligator tears when they get hit or fouled and they play dead. You know, you guys, you guys watching the NBA finals? Yeah. Anybody here watching the NBA finals here? No, not very many people. Okay, one guy right back here. Our youth pastor. He's the only guy that I could talk uh, NBA finals with, for the most part. There's not a lot of people on, you know, here that do that. But if you notice that, let's just you and I have a conversation right now. You ever notice these guys, little little tic-tac little thing? Somebody barely hits them, and they fall down like they're dying? And then they get to the instant replay. The guy barely got hit. And I'm not saying they don't get hit hard. I mean, now in the playoffs, man, they're blasting each other. They're pounding on each other. But from time to time, the guy will take a shot. And he'll go, oh, 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 You go, oh my goodness, he's going to die. No, he's not. He's an NBA ball player, okay, basketball player. And I, I, was, I was talking to some guys last night, and they, think, they said, uh, You think the NBA guys are bad? You ought to watch the soccer players. They're even worse. So those are alligator tears. That's, uh, that's worldly sorrow, okay? They're not really hurt. It's just, it just, they're just going through the motions. And so there's that kind of difference between the two. You need to understand that. Failure can lead to success if I, will, if I will humbly learn from it. Here's the next one. No matter what happens, God promises to use it for my good and his glory. Proverbs 21, 31. The horse is made ready for battle. Victory is in the hands of the Lord. You can do the very best with your life and still not turn out the way you had hoped it would turn out. And you've got to be okay with that. God can still use that for your good and his glory. Romans 8, 28, 29. You guys familiar with that? Those are great verses. For we know that all things work together for good for those that love God and are called according to his purpose. What's his purpose? It's verse 29. He's gonna use all the junk in your life, the mess, the difficulties, the pain, the suffering, the struggles, the sin, and he's gonna use that in such a way that he's gonna shape you more into his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the sweet life. That's the great life. That's a wonderful life to live. The more you become like him, that's called holiness, wholeness, happiness, healing. Yeah, all of that, that's what it means to become like Jesus, more and more the fruit of the Holy Spirit in your life regardless of your circumstances. That is amazing. And he's going to use all the negativity in your life, all the junk, even your sins. He can use that. He's going to work it in such a way that he can bring wholeness to you. That's what I want. That's what I want for you. And there's also a great verse, 50-20, Genesis 50 20. You've got to have the 50-20 perspective. Genesis 50-20, remember? Remember Joseph looked into the eyes of his perpetrators? He said, you guys intended to harm me. But God intended it for good for what is now being done, the saving of many lives. We've often heard that verse quoted like this. What the enemy intended for harm, God intended for good. To work in your life in such a way, in a powerful way, to make you more like his son and to use you in a powerful way unlike you've ever been used before. So no matter what goes down in your life, get back up, keep going, keep looking to him, trust in him, confess, repent, turn back to him, and allow him to use you in your life powerfully. I, I, I was reminded as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about the woman at the well in John chapter four. Remember she encountered Jesus? How many times had she been married? Five times. And she said, phooey on that, I'm just gonna live with the guy now. I got the sixth one now. No ma- who knows how many more she might've had after that, but her, her life was a mess. She encounters Jesus, she is so excited. What does she do, anybody? She runs back to her little town, her little village, and lights it on fire with the gospel of Jesus. I mean, didn't literally light it on fire. Okay, that sounded kind of weird. But I mean, with with the gospel message of that. I've encountered the Messiah. This is out of this world. Now, I started thinking about that. I wonder if she was still stuck in her guilt and shame, paralyzed, immobilized. No, she was set free. In fact... Her trauma became her testimony. Her mess became part of her ministry. Don't allow the enemy, the accuser of the brothers and sisters of all of us, we have an adversary that's gonna get you trapped, create fear in your life, feel like, how can God use me? I'm a mess, look at the mess I've created. No, 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 no. He can use you. He wants to use you powerfully. Allow that mess to become his masterpiece in your ministry to others allow that trauma in your past to become your testimony of his glory and goodness be a walking billboard advertisement and a trophy of God's amazing grace no matter where you come from no matter what's been done to you no matter what's going on in your life he can redeem that he can restore you it's absolutely amazing that's why I love the gospel the gospel brings transformation to our lives and uh, let me ask you this who were the the leaders with the greatest impact in the new testament who were i'm thinking of two right now two two guys that had the greatest impact in the new testament in fact one of them both of them wrote scripture and one of them wrote the biggest chunk of scripture anybody what are the two guys names paul and peter peter paul and mary No, I wasn't married, but it was Peter and Paul. Peter, remember, what did Peter do? Denied Christ three times. Okay, you're out, dude. You're done. It's over. How could I deny the one who died for me? No, the guy goes on to write scripture. What about Paul? What did Paul do before he became a Christian? He killed Christians. Oh, it's over for him. He has no ministry. Are you kidding me? Both of these guys were a mess. And God continued to work through them. Absolutely amazing. Okay, so those are the five truths of believing. Let's talk about the five steps in behaving. Here's the first one. Number one, manage your life in such a way that you greatly increase your master's kingdom. That's kind of one of the big ideas of this parable. Look at verse 14. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. Did you know that everything that you have has been entrusted to you and it's God's property ultimately, but he gave that to you? Everything you own is on loan. Can't take any of that with you when you die. Everything you own is on loan. Listen to this verse. This is, <laughs> this is a great verse. 1 Corinthians 4, 7. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive. Think about that. What do, you, what do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? So I was, so I was thinking about, think about the most popular you know, rock stars, movie stars, athletic stars, the, the kind of the smartest guys maybe in our nation or in this world. Do you think they understand that verse? There might be one or two. But for the most part, let me ask you this, Patrick Mahomes, do you think he understands that verse? For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Just signed a contract with Kansas City Chiefs for $500 million in 2020. Mother's Day, he bought his wife a Ferrari. You can buy a used one for about $400,000. How about LeBron James? Do you think he understands that? Well, especially not him. How about MJ, Michael Jordan? How about Warren Buffett, Bill Gates, Jeff Bezos? How about let's, let's talk about some of the big rock groups out there Rolling Stones, Beatles, Led Zeppelin. Let me read that verse again. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? And if then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? In fact, it tells us in 1 Corinthians ten thirty one: whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Everything that you have has been given by God so that you can live your life in such a way that you could bring glory to him, not glory to yourself, but But to him, manage your life, the sum of your time, your talents, your treasure, your gifts, your strengths, your personality, your interests, your life experiences, your marriage, your singleness, your parenting, your friendships, your college, your career, the list goes on. Display the supreme worth of Jesus in every aspect of your life by treasuring him above all things. That's what that means. Live your life for God's glory. Listen to me. You were created by God for God, to give glory to God. The word glory means weight, significance, importance, to live your life in such a way that God is more important, more satisfying, more desirable than anything in creation. That's what that means to live for his glory. God is most glorified in us when we are most happy, contented, satisfied in him above all things in life and especially in suffering and death. You see, everything in life is a gift from God and a pointer back to God. It's meant to draw our hearts back to him, but too often we are fixated on the created things, making much of the created things. Rather than enjoying that steak this afternoon as we're eating it, if you're going to have steak or whatever, you're going to go you know, for your favorite restaurant or whatever you're going to eat. But, but what you need to do, if you're going to live it, do it for the glory of God, you, as you're eating it, you don't let your adoration and praise terminate on the steak, but you let it roll on up to the creator and give glory to him. This is good. You, you turn it into a worship experience, whatever it is. You enjoy him. God is most glorified in us. We're most satisfied in him. Everything in creation is a gift from the creator and a pointer back to the creator. James 1, 16 and 17 says, do not be deceived. Every good, perfect gift comes from God. Psalm 19 says the creation is pointing to God. Everything in creation points to God. So don't let... Let your praise and thanksgiving adoration terminate on created things, but let it roll on up to the creator as you're enjoying these things. And you also need to ask yourself, so whether I eat or drink, whatever I do, do all to the glory of God. I should be asking myself, will this help me? When I purchase this car, this Ferrari for my wife, I mean, I'm not against that. If that's what God has called you to do and you can put on display and help people to know God, and help yourself to know God and make him known through that there's nothing wrong with that if that's exactly how God is leading you to do that but can you do that is that possible when you buy or purchase or anything that you do whether you eat or drink whatever you do so he's talking about even the menial things every day but also the big things that we do is this going to help me to know God is this going to help me fulfill the purpose that God has created me or is this all about me Am I living my life just for me, to make much of me? Because I'm trying to fill an emptiness inside that should be filled by him. Here's the next one. Don't compare yourself with others. So manage your life in such a way that you greatly increase your master's kingdom. Don't compare yourself with others. Look at verse 15. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. Now, this is what's so fascinating, and I don't know if you caught this as we were reading this text, but in verses 19 through 23, the five-talent servant and the two-talent servant received the same reward in the end. Did you guys catch that? No? Okay, just a couple of you, some of you? so I mean when you go through it we kind of read through it very quickly and so you see that they both receive the same word uh, same reward in the end in fact in verse 21 and verse 23 this is what his master says to both of them separately but says the identical words well done good and faithful servant you have been faithful over a little I will set you over much enter into the joy of your master he's talking heaven he gives the same commendation and reward to both why Why is that? Because a servant's reward is based on total results in light of potential. So in the same way, Jesus will reward you and me on the basis of what each of us did with what we were given. So how are you managing your master's resources that he has given you? That's the question. Your future is as promising and important as the future of the most gifted person in the world. They both received the same. The one that had the five, the one that had the two. They received the same reward. Don't ever, ever, ever compare yourself with others. Why is that? Because it is demeaning to the God who made you and the unique, one-of-a-kind, original shape that he has given you. You're not a second-rate citizen. You're not an accident. You're created by a God who loves and adores you and wanted one just like you. You're unique. You weren't produced on an assembly line. You're not a cookie-cutter person. Everybody's, every one of us is different. That's important to keep in mind. You can't compare yourself with others. You compare your results with your potential, always giving it your very best, not for your identity, but from your identity. We don't operate as Christians out of deficit to try to fill an emptiness inside. If I could just accomplish this, then I'll be somebody. No, you're already a somebody in Jesus Christ. You don't work for your identity, you work from it. You don't work for your glory, you work for his glory. So everything that he's giving you is an opportunity to put him, him on display. The beauty and the glory of who he is. To know him, to experience him. Don't compare yourself with others. Galatians 6, 4. But let each one test his own work and then his reason then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. 2 Corinthians 10, 12. Check this out. This is good. Not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. Here's point number three. Failure is not falling short of a goal, but not having a goal. It's not inability to do something, but an unwillingness to try. Set some goals, set some goals for your life. Verse 25, and so I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. Proverbs 29, 18, memorize uh, that verse years ago. Where there is no vision, the people do what? Anybody? Yeah, the people perish. That's actually King James version. King James puts it this way: where there is no vision, the people perish, but he that keepeth the law, happy is he. So Proverbs 29:18 ESV puts it this way. For where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. But blessed is he who keeps the law. So we get our vision from God's word is what he's saying. So vision is a picture of the future that produces passion. So you need to have vision for every part of your life. Primarily your spiritual life. But you should have vision, a picture of the future that produces passion in you when it comes to your marriage, your parenting, your career, but more importantly, your spiritual life. So let me ask you this, do you have vision as it relates to your spiritual life? I can tell whether or not you do. If I talked with you about your relationship with Christ, I could see whether or not you had a fire lit up inside of you. I had a fire lit in me years ago that seems to to rage more and more the older I get. A passion, a desire, an appetite for God that is overwhelming. You have a vision, a picture of the future that produces passion in you as it relates to God, knowing him and making him known. Did you know that you can have experiences with God? And I have these experiences with God, these encounters with God that are over the moon, that are out of this world, that are beyond words. Do you have a vision for God, a desire for him to to see the invisible hand of God working in people's lives, to hear the inaudible voice of God, to experience the inexplicable but undeniable presence of God that blows your mind, that you're just overwhelmed with his goodness and his grace? I love that last song. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine, praising all day, you know, I forget how that song goes. In fact, I'm off camera right now. Here we go. Let me see if the song's back here. Oh, yeah, right here. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Do you get a foretaste of glory divine from time to time? I do. Oh, my goodness. I mean, I am so excited about Jesus at times. I have to keep... Sh- my mouth's shut because I know I'm just going to overpower everybody around me. I want people to know him, to experience him. Watching and waiting. I mean, this goes along with our message. Watching and waiting, looking above, filled with his goodness, lost in his love. Oh, my goodness. Okay, I'll put this back. That's a good song. I mean, go through the words of the songs that we're singing this morning. I mean, a vision, do you have a vision to experience a love and a joy and a peace that all the success in this world cannot give you and all the suffering in this world can't take from you? Do you have a vision and a desire to experience a joyful awe and wonder of the beauty and the glory of who Jesus is and what he's done for you that it ruins you for anything else? Believe me, if you have that kind of a vision, you're going to have goals you're going to have goals to help you to get to that place. You see, the things we, we envision, the things we value, we prioritize, the things we prioritize, we practice, all I got to do is follow you around. And I can see your practices day to day. So my practices from day to day, man, I, the thing that I enjoy most is spending time with the Lord. I love his presence. And his presence is fullness of joy. So what do I do? What are the goals that I have? Man, every day I spend time in his word. Every day I spend time talking to him, interacting with him. Every day, man, I'm listening to to pray songs, and I'm walking with him, and I'm enjoying him, and I'm telling people about him. That's part of, that's my life. That's who I am. That's what I do. I love it. You can do the same, even in the activities of your day. I do a lot of other things, you know, throughout the day, but he's with me. I love him. I spend my first part of my day with him. I spend the last part of my day with him. I spend a whole lot of my day with him throughout the day. You can do the same, but you have to have some goals, and those goals so you got so the things you value you're going to prioritize things you prioritize you're going to practice you're going to have these goals that's that's the idea set some goals philippians 3 12 through 15 listen to what paul says he says but one thing i do forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead you hear the urgency there i press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of god in christ jesus so failure is not falling short of a goal, but it's not having a goal. It's not it's not inability to do something, but an, an unwillingness to try. So set some goals. What are some goals in your life? But to have those goals, you gotta have some vision, picture of the future that produces passion. And the more that you develop some spiritual goals, you spend time in his word, then you're gonna have vision for every aspect of your life, your finances, your relationships, your career, because the Bible will give you those, those goals. Here's the next one, number four. You have one life, that's all. You were made to live for God. Make your life count. You have one life. You have one life. Each day, mark that box off. You're not going to be able to go back to that day. That's one less. I don't know how many days God has for you. He's the one that determines that. But every day, boom, mark that off. You have one day, one life, that's all. You were made to live for God. Make your life count. What does that mean? Verse 26, but his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. What is he saying? You knew... I was gonna hold you accountable. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers and at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So what does it mean to make your life count? We've already kind of talked about it here. Is it Tom Brady winning seven, seven Super Bowl rings? Is it the American dream? Is it the brains and the 246 billion bucks of Elon Musk? Is it an all-out pursuit of girls' gold and glory? First John chapter 12, the love of the world. Anybody know who the, uh, who's won the most NBA championships? Anybody here know who has won the most NBA championships? I asked that last night, and someone in the front row, second, second row back, up in the front said, who cares? And so we had to usher her out of the church. We immediately excommunicated her for, for talking like that. No, I'm kidding. I, it, was, it was kind of funny. Uh, we had good dialogue on that over that one. But it's kind of like, yeah, who cares? But here's a guy. Maybe you didn't even know this guy's name because it really doesn't really matter in light of eternity. We're living in this dot. We make so much of the dot. We live for the dot, we forget about eternity. Is it Bill Russell's 11 NBA championships in his 13 year career with Boston Celtics? Who cares? (laughs) Is it a megachurch pastor of 10 to 20,000 people attending? Is it Mother Teresa ministering to to the death and dying in calcutta india is it checking items off of your bucket list before you die how many remember the movie bucket list you guys ever see that movie jack nicholson morgan freeman they're both dying of cancer and so they come up with this list of things to do and on that list there's some decent items but let me just say this you got to know this you got to understand this we're answering the question how do we make our life count no bucket list or great achievement or all the money in the world will ever comfort you on your deathbed, or in the presence of God when you give an account of your life. That's the point of this parable. Here's Paul's bucket list. Goes along with what we already read there in Philippians three twelve through 15, when he says, One thing I do is forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on to the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What was he talking about here, right here? Philippians 3, and 11. This way, saying, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his suffering, to become like him in his death, so that by all means I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. Here's my paraphrase of this The greatest purpose in life is to know Christ, become like him joyfully rescuing people from hell, beating their earthly needs, making them happy in God, even if it brings suffering, and doing it with a satisfaction that makes Christ look like the treasure he is until he takes you home. That's what it means to make your life count. Make living your life for the glory of God in every aspect of your life, your singular passion. Pray, think, dream, plan, set goals, take risks to know God and to make him known. In success and failure, in comfort or suffering, show how beautiful and glorious God is. And you do that, you're making your life count for all eternity to know him and to make him known no matter how God has wired you up, no matter what giftings he's given you. You don't have to have a lot of brains or a lot of bronze or a lot of bucks to make an impact in people's lives. Just live for his glory. Every breath you take, live for his glory to make much of him. Know him, make him known. Let me, let me simplify it. <laughs> Loving people is pointing them to the all-satisfying God. The most loving thing you can do is point people to the all-satisfying God. And the best way for you to do that is for you to find your ultimate happiness in the all-satisfying God. So the more you're satisfied in Him, the more they're going to see that in you. and You can point them to what you're experiencing. You can't give what you don't have. But man, if you're satisfied in Him, (laughs) I don't know how you can keep quiet. There's no way. You find satisfaction in him, you want everybody you care about to find that satisfaction in, in him also. And psalm 90, I was reminded of, uh, of this psalm. It's a great psalm. And it's, I, I titled Psalm 90 as How to Make Your Life Count. And the first part of it, he just talks about in light of eternity, you know, life is brief. And then he comes to a couple of places in here. Verse 12, he says, so, so teach us to number our days so that we can have a heart of wisdom. Help us to make our life count. Help us to realize how fleeting our life is. And then he gives us kind of a key here, what that looks like. And he says in verse 14 of Psalm 90, this is important. If you could do this every day, if you could do this every day, begin to set goals and do those disciplines that we help you to do this, you're going to make your life count. This is what he says. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love so that we may rejoice and be glad all of our days. I wanna live for you, and as I live for you, and as I find satisfaction in you, I know that's gonna overflow my life. I'm gonna make an impact in other people's lives. My life will be contagious for you. Let me give you a warning. We live in this multimedia generation, and you need to know that a mind fed daily on on TV, social media, and internet, weakens over time. I'm not against any of those things, but use those to your advantage to stir up your heart for Christ. Americans are in jeopardy of amusing themselves to death. Your mind, your heart, your life, your soul was made to know and love God and to make him known. That's the only thing that's gonna give you that deep, durable pleasure and satisfaction. The passion of of an un the passion of an unwasted life is to put on display that Christ is more desirable and satisfying than all that life can give or suffering and death could take away. Here's your last point. Whatever you give up to follow Christ is nothing compared to what you will gain both today in the dot and forever on the line. Take some risks. Make some sacrifices sacrifice is giving up something you love for something you love more i know many of you do that many of you give up something that you love for something you love more because you give of your time and your talent and your treasure here regularly this church wouldn't exist if it wasn't for for so many of you literally hundreds and hundreds of you who give up things you love for that which you love more which is christ knowing him and making him known to the world praise god for you thank you for doing that You're you're making your life count. Live in the dot today for the line forever. Don't throw your life away. Matthew 16, 24 through 27, Jesus says, what good is it if a man gains the whole world but loses his soul? Don't lose your soul. Live his purpose. Live for him. We've got a 5G process that helps you to do that. Let me walk you through it. 5Gs, full devotion to Christ. The more fully devoted you are to Christ, the more of that fullness of life that you will live that he came to give to us. John 10, 10. I came that you might have life and have it to the fullest. Starts with a genuine Christian. Walk with him. Man, cultivate intimacy with him. There's nothing like having an intimate relationship with God. Man, by the way, if you've never committed your life to Christ, how do you do that? You acknowledge your sin that separates you from God. You believe that Christ died on the cross for your sins and you confess him as Lord and Savior. Give your life to him this morning. If you've never done that before, I'd love to pray with you at the end of the service. Come up. Give your life to him. I'll pray with you.
0: And, and begin
1: to walk with him. Cultivate intimacy with him. So genuine Christian, walk with him. Growing Christian, live his word. Get plugged into small groups. Hang out with other Christians. Read your Bible. Pray. Come to church regularly. Genuine growing, giving. Walk with him. Live his word. Contribute to his work. Get involved in ministry here. We, I mean, uh, we have all sorts of opportunities here for you to get involved and to use your giftings, your talents your resources to make an impact in people's lives. Genuine growing, giving, going, going. Make an impact in this world. Tell people about Christ. Point to the one who satisfies the deepest longing in your soul. 50, for God's glory. Walk with him, live his word, contribute to his word. make an impact in this world, all for his glory. Because God is most glorified in us when we're most satisfied in him. Let's pray. Would you bow your heads with me? So, Father God, in the name of Jesus Christ, we don't want the fear of failure to keep us from the fulfillment and fruitfulness of living out our purpose to know you and to make you known through our unique, individual, God-given shape. We pray that we would live our lives in such a way that Jesus would be made to look like the all-surpassing I like that. little background noise there. Somebody might have fallen asleep back there. (laughs) Okay, let's go back to the prayer. So we pray that we would live our lives in such a way that Jesus would be made to look like the all-surpassing treasure that he is. The all-surpassing treasure that he is. May you be most glorified in us as we are most satisfied, happy, and contented in you in all aspects of our life. We pray in Jesus' beautiful name. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. Love you guys.